exclusively on Paramount Plus. Get ready Vamanos. to explore like never before. Swiper no swiping. Oh man! Swing into action. We need your help. With a girl who put adventure <laughs> on the map. I don't think I can do it, Dora. I'll protect you, Boots. Together, we've got this. Todos juntos! Yeah! Dora, the brand new series. Stream with your family now, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! There's literally nothing I can do for the rest of my life where they won't say he's the guy who did the Nosferatu gag. That's awesome. <laughs> Welcome to SpongeBob Binge Pants, Nickelodeon's official podcast about all things SpongeBob. I'm Hector Navarro. And I'm Frankie Grande. Hey, Sponge fans, we're back with an amazing guest. We have today a writer, director, artist, somebody who has contributed some of your favorite SpongeBob moments, gags, jokes. We're going to actually break some of those down, figure out the origins of where the heck Nosferatu came from. He also worked on Hey Arnold uh, back in the day. The incredibly talented Jay Lender is on the show today. Frankie, how excited are you? I'm really excited because um, so many of his episodes that he wrote and storyboarded are ones that are so vivid in my mind as I went back to re-watch them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, since we are, you know, a podcast and we do lots of rewatches of SpongeBob, I would also say, before listening to this, if you want to pause and rewatch Pigeon Man on Hey Arnold, that might yes. be a good idea because we do talk a lot about his work on Hey Arnold and about specifically the episode Pigeon Man. But, I mean, so many incredible episodes written for Spongebob by Jay Lender. We're going to talk about it all. (laughs) Get ready for some really wackadoo stories about the Nosferatu gag, because that is one of his, um, I I would say, uh, pièce de résistance. His um, time, I, feel, I should say that is Jacques Cousteau. Piece oui, oui. de résistance of Jay Lender's career is the Nosferatu <laughs> gang. Jay Lender worked on the first three seasons of SpongeBob SquarePants. He's got a lot of stories, so let's just get into it. Here he is. We're talking with Jay Lender. You created these un- unbelievable pieces of art that have stood the test of time. We're talking about it 20 years later. I mean, uh, how did your whole journey with SpongeBob even begin in the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> well, way back then, Nickelodeon wasn't what it is now. We didn't have a studio. Nobody really knew what we were. We were very new. Ren and Stimpy and uh, Rocco's Modern Life were the only really new shows that they had. Everything else was mm-hmm. stuff they had brought in from Canada. And we were in rented space all over town. So there, there was no fancy studio for everyone to go to and no big culture that we were all part of. We were just, you know, huddling in little cubicles here and there. So we were at this building working on Hey Arnold, where I was a background designer and a storyboarder. And the remnants of the Rocco's Modern Life people were upstairs. And, you know, we never went up there because that was another show. It was another part of this <laughs> building where we were in rented space. For whatever reason, I went up one day and this pilot, Sponge Boy, had just come back from overseas where all wow. of the animation is done. 
And, you know, we sort of knew that that Steve Hillenberg and Derek Dryman had been working on this thing in mm-hmm. a broom closet upstairs <laughs> a couple of months earlier. No one really knew what it was unless they were on it. And I, I don't remember why I was upstairs, but I walked by the, the room where they had the Steenbeck, which was the old film editing bay. So you were literally rolling film and, no and audio tape back and forth to check your work. <laughs> And as I walked by this door, I took a peek in, and there was a wave of fish breaking over a mast that was inside a giant lobster pot. And I did, like, a literal cartoon double take. I stopped. I mean, you could hear the the wheels on my car stop. And I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I mean, I, I couldn't understand what it was, what the context was, how could this ever fit into a narrative of any kind. Yep. But whatever it was, I knew I had to be on it. Wow. And a year later or so, we were in the actual studio by then, and I was on Hey Arnold, and I said, when they greenlit the show, I said, I've got to be on this show. So I, I went up to the big bosses. I went to Mark Taylor, and I said, I need to be on this show Please switch Whoa. me over. And Whoa. the answer was no. Wow. We like you where you are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're doing good work, right? <laughs> exactly. And I get it. I get it. I was never bitter, but I quit. So I quit the studio and everyone was like, oh, my God, Jay, you're insane. You'll never get another job. You're dead. And I sat home for like four weeks, uh, you know, looking for work. But then I got this call from Derek Dryman, and he's like, come on in and do a test for us. So I did a storyboard test for them, and I, I think they gave me like a paragraph to work from, and I just invented some stuff. There was something about Mr. Krabs and his daughter. And yes. wow. I, I, don't, I don't know if the, the material that I had specified that she was a whale, um, uh, but I drew her as a shark. Okay. And I think that bit of weirdness might have put me over the top. So they brought me in and had me do some cleanup for a couple of weeks. I worked on pickles and I think on, on squeaky boots. Oh my and goodness. then and they had me in a little side room. And then Derek came busting into the office and he said, grab your stuff. We're going across the way. And he took me over into another office. He said, sit in that chair. This is Chuck Klein. He's your director. You're a storyboarder. Here's your premise. Go. And the next thing I knew, I was working on Hall Monitor. Uh-oh, an open window. More seaweed medley, dear. The fools. They've left themselves susceptible to danger. I must show them the error of their ways. Through example. It, it was a, a dumb play, quitting your job and tanking your right. entire career, but it paid <laughs> off because you're right. They liked me doing what I was doing. But yeah. when you leave, the, the question isn't, do we want Jay doing this thing or the other thing? It's, do we want Jay here at all? And thank God the answer was yes. 
there's so much to unpack with what you just said. It was honestly like this amazing <laughs> bit of car- cartoon history that you're describing the old offices before the sort of Nickelodeon building that everybody knows. The fact that you were talking about the editing bay using that technology <clears throat> that it was using because even SpongeBob, because it's 20 plus years, has seen so many evolutions just on like a tech side that mm-hmm. when you describe the early years of SpongeBob, to me, it feels like, and I hope this doesn't make you feel old, Jay, because I'm right there with you, dude. It feels like it's closer to like Walt Disney working on Steamboat Willie than it is to like how cartoons are made today sometimes. When you guys talk about being in those cramped offices, like just figuring stuff out. I, I want to go back to um, uh, you being so blown away by Help Wanted, the mm, animation of yeah. the of that those, the swarm of all those characters and you just being like so I- amazed by it. Is this any way to behave? Can we show a little decency and form a neat single file line in front of the register? Was that because you were on Hey Arnold at the time, which is another show I got to say, I adore Hey Arnold. I think it's a beautiful show. It has also stood the test of time. It's like another classic, Frankie and I say the word iconic, too much, Jay. Too much, (laughs) yeah. But- Hey Arnold is also so grounded and it's so real. Yeah. Was it because you were on that show and you were in that state of mind that you turn the corner and you're like, what is this insanity? <laughs> hey Arnold was was sort of like the the capstone on decades of animation that had gotten away from the kind of stuff that they were doing in the Fleischer years mm-hmm. and Disney when just the idea of, of moving cartoons was shocking. It was a special effect. And you wanted to see things that you couldn't see in real life. But as that kind of work became very expensive and mm-hmm. scripts started <laughs> taking over and they became more and more about talking, you saw a lot of shows about people in their real life. And Arnold was a a phenomenal show to work on. I was very, very uh, lucky to be there and happy to work on shows like uh, Pigeon Man, you know. I I mean, that's that's an amazing (laughs) 11 minutes of TV where you can make an adult cry with 11 minutes of cartoon. That's nuts. So, but you're right, though, because that's where really most of animation was back then in, in that much more real and grounded space. And SpongeBob was just this crazy departure for me uh, into bizarre territory. And I I didn't know that I uh, was going to be any good at it. I don't know that I had a natural facility with that kind of material. I constantly had to be pushed in in the first year or two to get weirder and let go. And and Derek would say, no, 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 it's not stupid enough. Make it stupider. And I'd be like, what do you mean? What, What he said is stupid. Like I, when we did the the jar story, uh, Patrick and the trying to open up the jar. Yeah. Um, I think I did you know six panels of Patrick having trouble opening up the jar, and Derek's like, no, no, it's not stupid. Like this, and he just started whipping out hundreds of post-it notes, getting stupider and stupider. And every time he would get stupider, it was like a manhole cover in the face to me. Like, oh, that's where the bottom is. Oh, oh, it's it's even stupider <laughs> further, than that. Further, further. Yeah, exactly. Almost there. Now head for the lid. Cold. Warmer. 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 You're hot. You're on fire. Oh, it burns. Okay, okay, wait, wait. 
like I I didn't know it was possible and and you, get I got you, my you, brain expanded by the crew. You you said that's the bottom Jay to Frankie and I. That's the top baby. That's the top. <laughs> exactly. It kept elevating and elevating yes. with stupidity. Exactly. Even, exactly. Even in um, a Mahal monitor when Patrick is just screaming at the poster over and over and over again. Like those kind of bits <laughs> are the bits that we live for. <laughs> Stay indoors, son. And uh, take that cone off your head. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like working with Stephen Hillenberg? Everyone, it's funny because uh, Stephen, Steve has become sort of mythologized. Yes. um, Especially since his passing. Mm-hmm. People talk about him uh, as though he is, you know, like an angel who came down from heaven. And and in the sense that he <laughs> delivered us something amazing, he is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he was just my boss, and he probably <laughs> would have stopped me if he heard me say boss and say, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just a guy you work with. He Aww. he said, I, I think to Sam Henderson, when who was one of my partners on SpongeBob, Sam didn't do finished drawings. He did the rough stuff, but mm-hmm. his skill set is in writing and in doing very strange cartooning, but it's not part of the animation process. And I think at some point, Sam pulled Steve aside and he was like, you know, I, I, I get nervous when I'm I'm working with you. I, I, I don't want to, you know, mess things up in front of the boss. Aww. And Steve said, I, I'm not your boss. You don't work for me. You work with me. We work for Nickelodeon. Yeah. (laughs) It it felt very much like that in the room. I I was never nervous about Steve. I was nervous that a pitch wouldn't go well, not to Mm. him, but to the room, to the rest of the crew. Steve was was hands-off when it was time to be hands-off and gently hands-on when it was time (laughs) to be hands-on. So I, I think he wanted everyone to bring whatever they could to the party so that it it wasn't just, you know, his sensibility because, you know, we all work together. We stand on each other's shoulders and get to places that are higher than we could ever go alone. And and I think he understood that, not that he would, you know, stand up and, and expound on it, but he let us go. And then after the first week of writing storyboarding, he would come in, take a look at it and say, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we should go this way with it and sort of, gently steer you away from 180 degrees of the spectrum and and into the right way. And then the following week, he'd come in with Derek and the two of them would sit down. We'd close the door, order dinner, and starting at 5.30 or so, we would go until it was done and rewrite and redraw every panel if necessary to make a show that functioned and was funny and felt the way he wanted it to feel. But mm-hmm. we were all part of that. I mean, if you could make Steve laugh, it's not that it was hard to make Steve laugh, mm-hmm. but when you did it, um, you knew you were on the mark mm-hmm. and you you wanted to be on the mark for Steve. Um, not that. just because yeah. he was your friend and because he was the boss, but because we trusted his vision. He yeah. He had come up with this very specific idea and feeling and he needed to be the the shepherd to kind of 
corral us and make sure we were in the right place and we were always happy to find out we were. You said that Stephen wanted everybody to bring something to the party yeah. and I want to talk about Nosferatu. I want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Jay, a gag that you're very very proud of. Can I have a job application? I brought my own spatula. I called earlier but I hung up cuz I was nervous. Do you have references? Wait. If that was you on the phone and you on the bus, then who was flickering the lights? Nosferatu! <laughs> so this joke was, this gag was written... Rightfully so, by the way. Uh, rightfully so, proud of you it. You gotta take it where you can get it. Yeah, People like that. So. You know, when you got it, flaunt it. Yes. <laughs> I exactly. got one good gag. I'm not going to let anyone forget. <laughs> we, I mean, the show itself hasn't forgotten, right? It first appeared in The Graveyard Shift, uh, and it's it's this great gag, and it has essentially made Nosferatu kind of a lasting part of the series to the point where he, the kid version of the character, Kid Feratu, is literally a character in the spinoff show Camp Coral. <laughs> What's it like for you to like see this small gag that you did and you created have such a lasting legacy on the show. How does that well, feel? First of all, I have to say that the weirdest thing about all of this is that a kid starting now with Camp yes. Coral, and there are <laughs> millions of kids out there who are starting with Camp Coral. Yeah. Love it. Love it. For them, they see Nosferatu, and he's just one of the gang. Mm-hmm. So the whole purpose of the original gag was that it's this bizarre non sequitur that, <laughs> Twist, that yeah, not yep. only comes out of nowhere, but it's not even the same medium. I mean, everything nope. about it, it's not even in color. Everything about it <laughs> is weird. But now that gag is part of continuity for yep. kids who start watching with Camp Carl. <laughs> and part of me says... That's so sad. I'm angry about that. And then the other part of me is like, no, that's even more bizarre and, yeah, and da-da, so if I can bizarre. use an art term. It is like, da-da. It is, it is completely random and hilarious. And yeah, they're going to get to your joke now in the graveyard shift and go, ah, there's that character growing up. Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense <laughs> exactly. in the world. That's it's insane. It's a callback. It's now a callback to something else. Yes, so, also, but, like, how? Tell me what that was about. Like, what, what, so like why does Fratu? When I was a kid, I discovered a magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland. Wow. Mm. Through that magazine, I saw Nosferatu. We have this thing in comedy, probably in all <laughs> entertainment, called the rule of three. Yes. So... Generally, you're going to do three gags. You're going to do the gag once, he gets punched in the face. You do the gag a second time, he gets punched in the face, and now it's a pattern. And then the third time, you flip the pattern. You punch him somewhere else when he's expecting the face, or you hit him in the face with a fish, or the guy who's getting hit in the face hits the other guy with a fish. Whatever it is, you break the pattern. So in Graveyard Shift, Shift, we had that that little run where SpongeBob is saying, hey, I'm chopping the lettuce at night and I'm swapping out the bathroom at night. At night. Oh, I burned my hand at night. So we had those gags and there was at some point a fourth gag in there. And the gag was the weird gag, the one where we're going to flip it. And it was, I'm delivering the mail to Floorboard Harry at night. And SpongeBob runs into the shot and it's just the floor and he lifts up a board and this arm comes out of the dark and grabs a letter and goes back under the floor. 
And it's just a weird gag, but it was a fourth gag. So they pulled it. But we had already written the end of the show by then. And when we got to who's flickering the lights, we whipped over and I had a section of floor standing Mm -hmm. up with a knot hole in it and the eye behind it. And Floorboard Harry was hiding behind this section of floor, flickering the lights. And, you know, the gag was, you're never going to get to see who Floorboard Harry is because he carries a section of floor around with him. (laughs) But that was, I guess, a bridge too far for non sequiturs or maybe a bridge too wrong for non sequiturs because it was a callback to something that didn't exist anymore. And I, I, I don't know if we were talking about eliminating the ending entirely or if it was just come up with something else. And I will never be able to tell you where that came from, Nosferatu. People ask you all the time, where do your ideas come from? I don't know where they come from. If I Jay, knew where they came from, I'd be there all day. Jay, you <laughs> explained it to us earlier in the story. You said it was buried in your subconscious yes, from exactly, looking through from this magazine, magazine. From when you were a kid, yes. and he's been living there the whole time waiting to come out. That's where he came from. And, and that must be it. That must yeah. be it. But I, I mean, I pitched this thing when we pitched it live. I, I, Steve and Derek... I think they liked it very much. I'm sure that there was a, a question, how is this going to go over? <clears throat> but when we set up the board to pitch it in front of the crew the following morning, I had post-its over the last page and a half of the board. Secret. I, yeah, I didn't want anyone to get there before us. So when we got to the end of it, I, I honestly don't remember the reaction at all, if there was a reaction. Um, but they decided to keep it in, and I held the hand of that gag from the moment we had that pitch until it was shipped. I wouldn't let it out of my sight. I was, like, literally hanging over Nick Jennings' shoulder while he painted the, the actual background that they used. I had to go to a bookstore to get a book that had a picture of Nosferatu because there was no internet. Right. Uh, just to put it in the in the, the rough board. <laughs> Good, and I'm glad you defended it because had you not, maybe it wouldn't have made it and, and yeah. had this lasting legacy and made so many people giggle like, no, Nosferatu. <laughs> Literally nothing so I can good. do for the rest of my life where <laughs> yeah. they won't say he's the guy who did the Nosferatu gag. The Nosferatu gag. gag. That's awesome. And that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> With the score tied, we go to our final event. Fun wrestling. Who will take home the gold? Mr. Krabs of the Krusty Krab? Don't forget, he called ye yellow. <laughs> or Plankton of the Chum Bucket? Don't forget, he called you pink. Let's talk about SpongeBob comics. They were so great and so really wild. How did you end up working on the comics and what are the major differences between doing that and working in animation? When Steve made his deal with Nickelodeon to sell them then SpongeBoy, which Mm -hmm. became SpongeBob, Mm -hmm. he reserved comic books for himself and United Plankton allowed uh, Nickelodeon to do some comic strips. Or maybe there was a carve-out for that, too. But when you read SpongeBob comics, you were reading a product that had nothing whatsoever to do with Nickelodeon. 
They oh, didn't have wow. any involvement. They had no approvals that I am aware of. Mm. I, you know, Steve was never going to do anything that would create a problem there. Sure, right, sure. Um, but I don't think he ever had to correct anything that would have created a problem there because what problem is there to have? And Steve was an experimental guy. So everyone who brought who was brought in to work on that comic book did their stories in their style. And I mean, if you think you had no idea what you were going to get when you watched an episode of SpongeBob right, on TV, right. the comic books, forget it. I mean, he everything looked completely different. It is an absolute delight. And I was able to go in yeah. and and write, you know, short stories and and then a couple of really long stories, whatever it was, do it do SpongeBob your way. And not that I was trying to do anything different, but I didn't have to justify anything. So, wow. you know, I got to do some really cool, fun stuff uh, referencing other comics. I did a story called The Squishy Knight, where uh, I think, what was it, Mr. Krabs is kidnapped by Gene Scallop, who was a, a character <laughs> I dragged out of the show. He'd been in, in one episode. And he gave Mr. Krabs a bad review, and then he was personally yes. tanked for giving the bad review. So he comes and kidnaps Mr. Krabs. And to save the day, Squidward reveals that he is really the squishy knight, the savior of justice. And oh he pulls, he puts on his costume, and he's going to go save the day. And one by one, Everyone else in Bikini Bottom reveals that they too are also superheroes, and he's not special in any way. And I, I played SpongeBob. I mean, every character is a different character. Uh, my favorite was Fish Fish, half fish, half other kind of fish. Um, so SpongeBob, I, I cast as multi-purpose Sponge the superhero who's a different hero in every panel. <laughs> um, so that enabled me to go through this entire story and parody a different superhero every time SpongeBob showed up. Love and it. nobody was saying to me, don't do this. You can't do that. So I, no one was saying, you know, that's too many designs like right. an animation. We don't have and, it in the budget. You know, yeah. Right. Too many characters on screen simplify. Not, none of that ever happened there. If you hit your page count and, you know, no one was crying when it was over, you're mm -hmm. okay. And, wow. and by no one, I mean the readers. Um, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it was absolutely fantastic. Do you ever let yourself feel a little bit protective about SpongeBob? Are you ever proud of where he is today in popular culture? I mean, when did you realize that it was going to be a phenomenon? We we knew it was going to be good. Mm -hmm. We knew that from day one. This is going to be a good show. But we didn't know it was going to be a hit, and we certainly couldn't have predicted this. Yeah. Um, th this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and, and I, I will never, ever pretend that that has anything to do with what we did or who we are and or all of that. It, that it's a combination of a bunch of things. We made a, right. a very good show, but we also made it at the last moment when it was possible to have this kind of, of success. Yes. Um, we were on cable television. There was no streaming. So if, if you wanted to watch a cartoon, you were watching Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network or yep. the Disney Channel or your own videotapes. Otherwise, you were out of luck. There was no cartoon. 
Yes. So you had this massive concentration of the audience where everyone is going to be in one of these three places. SpongeBob, it was like one. Everyone eventually showed up at the same time to watch SpongeBob. Yeah. And yep. we we were it was a huge portion of the the media that was available. But just a few years later, you have this explosion of niche cable channels, and now we have streaming and all of this library material that's available all the time. Yep. And the audience is fragmented. And we can you can have a, a, a thing that captures people's imagination and has a sort of little wave that rolls through the public. But you can't define the the media experience for a generation like we did because nope. the, structurally it just doesn't exist. So Absolutely. this is the last time I it's think very rare that yeah. we're ever going to see anything that can be this big initially and then last forever with this kind of impact. That's why the show has such universal appeal. Any person, no matter who they are, what they're going through in their life can relate to some <clears throat> aspect of the show extremely passionately and very strongly. It's true. Um, <laughs> which is why it's so genius and why it's been such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much, Jay, Jay for joining this us today. It was a thrill. Today. Thank you. Great oh, stories, man. Like For you to bring your, your animation history perspective, it's just it's always so great to remember where the kind of origins of SpongeBob came from. It has just made me love the show more and more and more, right? The more we learn about it, the more it's like, wow, it's so yeah. special. So thanks again. Uh, this has been a blast. Jay, you're the best, man. Thank you. <laughs> no, you guys are the best. You guys are the best. <laughs> you're the best. <laughs> Frankie, another one in the books. Jay Lender, what a delight, what a treat, what a cartoon genius. Yes, a guy I, who was bringing that context, right? I love that. I mean, I literally, I was like, do you just want to talk for the whole time? I yeah. don't even need to be here. Like, I was so fascinated by everything that he was saying. I was like, tell another story, please. Wonderful storyteller. Really, for real, some inspirational stuff. I hope that uh, any of you young animators out there got, a, got, a, got real great stuff out of that. I hope that you did. Let us know what your favorite part of that interview was uh and if you're not already following jay lender's work i mean of course you can go back and watch those first three seasons of his stuff on spongebob squarepants check out hey arnold phineas and ferb the guys worked all over the place check his stuff out follow his work once again thanks to jay lender for spending any of his time with us we super super appreciate it stay tuned for the next episode of spongebob binge pants coming soon We'll see you guys then. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Keep watching cartoons. Bye.